Good evening to our neighbors and listeners. Coming to you live from the 215 here in Germantown, you are listening to the award-winning Germantown Info Hub Radio Hour. I'm community reporter Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom John. And I'm the community organizer for the Germantown Info Hub, Maleka Fruin, and I live here in Germantown with my family. The InfoHub Radio Hour explores everything happening in Germantown and the city of Philadelphia and covers them in an hour or less. You can check out what's going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org, Twitter and Instagram at gtowninfohub, or on Facebook at Germantown InfoHub. Kathy Brown is a placeholder in Germantown. She created that phrase to describe folks like herself and her family who have lived here in the neighborhood for multiple generations, through the ups and the downs. They have held place. Kathy is a collector and a creator of stories. Here she is introducing herself and where she grew up. My name is Katherine Michelle Brown. The other part of it is Lena, so it'll be Catherine Lena Brown on Facebook if anyone needs to find me. I am a director at a senior center in the city of Philadelphia. I am a community organizer for the Germantown community, born and raised there. And I do several different committee uh, type work in Germantown, you know, fundraising, friends of different organizations. And I try to get in and fit in where I can and do the most that I can to do real work. Um, My latest absolute have to is helping with tangled titles. I, I am burdened with making sure that that work happens and making sure that with all the changes that people are going through in Germantown, that those who want to stay have a chance to stay and that it's not you know, some legal fumble that they're not staying. So that's that's going to be my heart's work right there, you know. <laughs> born and raised Germantown Hospital, across the street from my girlfriend, who we were born three days apart on uh, East Rittenhouse Street, and we're still girlfriends to this day. We had the landscape of what it meant to be a diversified Germantown. On that one block, we had Caucasian folks, we had African-Americans, we had a, a family that was Native American. It was, we were a beautiful hodgepodge of people and we looked good. And it's weird because our housing actually mirrored who we were. On East Rittenhouse Street, if you ride through, most of the houses are different. We're, we're, it's just a different hodgepodge, I guess, different back then, different builders, different developers or whatever was happening. It's like every two houses seem to be a little bit different. The blessing for me was the two houses um, that I'm born and raised in are right together. One was my grandmother's and one was my mom's. And so I was raised in between these two houses on East Rittenhouse Street. Um, And it's a blessing to still be able to go in those homes and feel like I'm home. That's a feeling, I guess, that is driving me towards tangled titles that people, when they need to go back home, they can go back home and touch base. So yes, I am born in the sixties. My grandparents came here from down South by way of South Philly, North Philly, then Germantown. Um, They raised my mom and my uncle on East Rittenhouse Street. Um, they attended neighborhood school, except for my mom for high school from Dobbins, hairdresser. <laughs> and then my mother bought the house next door to her parents. And so literally I'm born and raised on East Rittenhouse Street to the fullest. <laughs> um, and I still very much love it there. This year, Kathy has been a part of Philly Cam's Radio News Fellowship. Neighbors from across Philadelphia came together weekly to create and produce Block by Block, a community news radio show. It airs on Philly Cam's radio station, WPPM. I do consider myself a self-proclaimed community historian. My deal is to follow up the stories of the placeholders like my grandparents and my mom, and then me as well, raising my kids in Germantown also. 
And so I, I applied and uh, they accepted me. I, I was blessed to already be doing some work because I have the men's sports talk show. And so that gave is conquer qualifications to be able to get in. Not saying that I know what the qualifications are, I don't, but I was just blessed to be in the number at that point, right? And it turned out to be such an awesome learning curve of radio and um, learning how to edit and finding stories and fishing them out, um, stories that your heart can get connected to. Who knew, oh my goodness, and then literally, being able to do what community organizing work is, is to get information to our people, to literally spread information from one person to another so that whoever needs it, it's readily available to. So that was a major piece. Like there should be a book that goes along with the fellowship because the community information that we're digging up is major. So yeah, it is an awesome collaboration, like you said, of people from all over the city. We're all from different walks of life. We all look different, we talk different, and we do different things. We're, we're led by Brad Linder, who pretty much teaches us a lot of stuff. My biggest thing is to conquer the board. <laughs> I'm determined to be a true, <laughs> <laughs> editor on the board, just kind of getting in there and knowing what button to push and what microphone to put on and, you know, what, you know, this, that, and the other with this story. And I, I love it. I, I love hosting the radio shows. I love, and that's another thing. We get to cover everything. You get to learn how to be a host. You get to learn how to actually get the story and edit it. I mean, from A to Z, everything you wanted to be a journalism, you know, to be in journalism, this program teaches you like Philly Cam hit the head. And what I love the name we are, that is really how we're connected block by block. And so it has been an awesome experience of just learning and um, connecting with people and collaborating with people and just figuring out, you know, how to get those stories on time <laughs> for that every other Tuesday <laughs> play on the radio. <laughs> I loved the program as well. I really needed, even though I came from a journalism background, I really needed to learn more about audio editing and, and I learned a lot working with Brad and with the other cohorts. So I'm so glad to hear about that. What's been surprising as you've learned uh, more about how to do, how to put together audio stories and, and, and putting together the show? Well, I think surprising to me is how the actual stories can affect you. And also when maybe you didn't think about this as a story, but sometimes you're standing in a moment and you're, you feel in your spirit, this is a story. I need to capture this moment right here. This is a story. So that has been amazing for me. Just, you know, like I said, having a chance to talk to people about how they feel about something that they're involved with, you know, to ask them how they're, how did they get to the passion on what they're doing? You know, how do they feel it? And that part is amazing too, because people are really willing to share that part. Surprisingly enough, people don't get asked enough about how they feel about something. They ask, how did you do it? They ask, when are you going to do it? They ask a lot of questions, but they don't normally ask you how you feel about doing it. And the answers to that are vast and amazing. And, you know, just being in a position to be able to have a reason to ask people is more like it is, is, awesome for me. <laughs> Absolutely awesome for me. Can I tell you about a little bit about my interview with the Color Girls Museum? So I had been chasing down this interview um, for months and she didn't know it. We just happened to wind up in the same place during my chase and I connected with her and I said, I'm going to get to you. And then once again, I still couldn't get to her. So I was being a bold little journalist and I rode over there like I'm hoping I <laughs> and there she was and she was so open. She was like, yes, let's let's get on the calendar. And when I say it was one of the most ins 
inspiring. I, I would even say all inspiring interviews I have ever done. It was with Miss Vashti DeVos, and she is the executive director and curator of the Color Girls Museum, located in the 4300 block of Newhall Street in the middle of Germantown. So come on in and see her and take care of her because you will forever be changed. This was one interview that turned into a tour that literally I feel like I'm wearing like a piece of clothes. It is on me. It is on me. It it impacted me as a as a color girl, as a journalist, and just as a woman. I'm still geeked. This is two or three days later, and I'm still geeked because the stories. And if you're at all into looking up your family. And then you walk into a place that you've never been and you get some confirmation on some things about your family. Oh my goodness. It's like I said to her, I feel very grounded here. This is more spiritual than I ever thought it would be. I said, I normally don't get to feel spiritual unless I'm really working on some spiritual stuff like church and you know, it's expected, but this touched my spirit. So if you have not been there, you must go. It is so worth the wait, the time. I didn't, I didn't wait. I'm not saying that there's a wait, but I'm just saying for me to wait to interview her, it was so worth it. And it really do feel every now and then in things that you're doing, you will meet up with someone or something that levels you up. This interview leveled me up. I'm uh, and I'm still floating from it. <laughs> yes, I'm absolutely at a level up. So I would really have to say, yo, Philly Cam, thank you. Because I love that Philly Cam take us average folk out of community and teach us how to go deeper into our community, ask some questions and get some answers and share it with people. Oh my goodness. That doesn't get any better than that because we need to do that. And sometimes we need something to give us permission to do that but you know what be bold in your permissions go get what you need share it with your people and do what you gotta do that's all i'm saying <laughs> i can tell how it affected you personally to really connect mm -hmm. with ashtai and with the colored girls museum but why do you think it's important that these stories are told on a kind of citywide basis in in, in radio because there's so much that we don't know we all have these little pieces, you know, because we were really broken when we were brought to this country. And so we have these little pieces in these little boxes and we need to be able to open the boxes so we can get a free flow of from which we come. And I think some of what is missing in our lives, we don't have, we got a little piece of information from over here and a little piece of information from over there. And who knew that this museum would confirm so much of my family information. Like I said, we, you know, I have, I'm blessed to have a family genealogist who is literally already digging up all of our family roots and doing all of our DNAs and this, that, and the other. And then to go into a museum and have it confirmed from a place that I've never been, it's just mind blowing. It was literally mind blowing. Like I said, I, I am forever changed by that. And just like I said, being a colored girl and being being proud because that word chases us at times. I'm proud to attach myself to that name because of this museum, because we're beautifully colored and we get to beautifully do different things just like our different colors. And so, you know, I am, <laughs> you know, she gave me some words I had to come back and look up. She didn't know that, but I was like, okay, let me just double check what this means and that means. but my love of learning it just i said to her this this feels like a whole college course thank you i i mean we we need to just graduate me because <laughs> i learned some stuff in here today and i would suggest that every go to this museum see how it's set up see the genius and understand what the different layers of stories that are in it and pieces that maybe you didn't know and you know how so many of our people were domestics and the old washboard which i remember my grandmother having and i know to this day i love 
used clothes because my mother was so good with them. I know that that's what she did when she got of age. She used to wash clothes and iron clothes for people. And if my mother took care of your clothes, regardless of where you got them from, you thought they were brand new from Macy's because she was just that good at it. And if you needed your hair did, my mother graduated from Dobbins, but had her beauty license after coming through there and hot comb and grease. My house always smelled like it. And when you got your hair done by my mom, your hair was did. So seeing all of that in this space about our stories. Oh my goodness. I mean, look, my cheeks are getting warm talking about it again because it was just that impactful for me. So I'm just saying Germantown, get over there, go see the treasure in it because it's absolutely that. Mm -hmm. This is community media. It's a community radio station. It's different than a regular radio station. It's different than mainstream media. As you've been learning and and experiencing in this community media, what are some takeaways for you that you value in like community media and community stories? I guess, first of all, there is something special about a group of people who are learning together. The bonding that happens over learned. And, you know, at that time we're learning, but of course we're we're probably all going to take it and do different things with it. But there is a bonding that happens. And you know, even last night we were we were having our meeting and the learning curve and someone actually trying to help you get that curve straight in a loving way, because we all are from different walks of life. And so, you know, trying to walk in the same way, doing no harm to anyone, bringing forth information, just connecting one to another and figuring out how can we bring and be good stewards of the information that we dig up out of our neighborhood. And then not only once we dig it up, because this has been our past issue, people dig up our stories, but they don't tell them the way, they change the content at times of what a story should be. And that's a problem. And that's why it's important for us to tell our own stories in our own voices because we're going to tell it the way it's intended to be told because you know content matters (laughs) you know what it literally means matters you know there there are things that happen that if you leave out that you know i have a pot in my family that got passed down for generations but you're talking about our soul food sundays well you took out a big part of the story right there like talk about the pot because it's important because it came from my grandmom and it came from my mom and now it's in my house and now it's going to go to my daughter's house that's important you know and and we're blessed to still hold on to that pot you know and i i remember i don't know who i was talking to i think just kind of going through the different stories that um, i was trying to capture and i said at one time you know i don't even know why i saved some of the stuff that i saved now it's very clear to me because who knew that I would get to this point in my life and need to hold that stuff and feel it and get taken back to that place and time, you know, where, you know, I was blessed with very good ushers through life. You know, the women in my life were strong, beautiful black women, and they ushered me through this life in a way that I, I could never complain. I, I just could not. And, and I'm thankful for all the ushers my mother and my grandmother, I promise you, walk in earth angels and their ability to stay in step with me so that I could, you know, get to a life uh, a part that I feel they would be proud of me in, you know. So, yeah, that's that's what you get when you go there. Don't don't go there just thinking you're just going to be telling stories because it's more than just a story because we all have our own stories, too. But be prepared, be prepared, be open in spirit and in mind. Be ready to say, okay, I may not be real comfortable with that, but let's give it a try. Yes, be willing to give it a try. You know, even Brad, one time I remember one one instance, one of the young ladies ended her interview in a poem and we were like blown away. And then Brad was like, I'm not sure about that. And then we talked to him, he was like, okay, I'm getting a little more sure. Okay. Yeah. Let's go ahead with it because 
we're all learning from each other, you know? And this is like four black women saying, Brad, that was amazing. I'm not sure what you, <laughs> you know? And like, he'll tell you, look, I'm I'm a little white guy. We'll do, you know, I, I don't know what you're doing, but the, the poetry and the rhyme behind this story and that she was able to bring that forth following the story was just, I, I tell you, just impactful. So yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> I First of all, I want people to just try it. Try collecting stories, your own, your neighbors. It could just be in your house, but leave something for the next generation to read. Because reading has to be the foot, you know, the footprints throughout our lives. It really does. So leave something for them to read and then hook up with like a Philly cam. If it's not radio, maybe it's video, if it's talking or if it's working the board, you never know until you try. And don't think that you don't qualify to do it. Qualify yourself to be in these spaces and at these tables, you know? Just just be willing to do the work and to learn, you know, be able to walk that learning curve and, and you got this. So, you know, my prayer is that everybody at some point learn that community radio really is where our authentic stories are told because uh, the news try, <laughs> they don't quite get it. We have to be able to tell our own stories in our own voices on our own time and when we're ready to release. And, you know, go after these stories, you know, because it's a part of who we are. You know, we have all these beautiful placeholders still right here. Placeholder, a, a term that I've really tried to just quorum for myself in that my grandmother held space for this property that we still have in our family today. That's a placeholder. And so even as we're being gentrified and overdeveloped and underdeveloped and disconnected, this, that, and the other, she held place for me and I'm better for it today. And I can take pictures and I can go home and touch the walls and say, this is where I was born. That's the house I was born in. Praise be to God. It's still standing and I still love it. And I still get that connection to being in that home. But what I will say, even if you don't have that home, write your story, tell it. I'm, I'm going to come for people willing to tell their stories in Germantown because it was a bunch of us. <laughs> A bunch of, especially on Rittenhouse Street, East Rittenhouse Street, we had a family on East Rittenhouse Street that was, like I said, very diverse, and it was just a good place to live growing up. For more information about Philly Cam's Radio News Fellowship, go to phillycam.org. In life, we often encounter moments that change the course of our journey. For Kimberly Kamara, that moment came with the heart-wrenching loss of her son, Naeem Kyrie Johnson Tate. It's a pain that no parent should ever have to endure. Yet through her unimaginable grief, Kimberly found the strength to turn her pain into purpose. Naeem was a 23-year-old young man, first-time father to his son, Kyrie. Naeem Johnson, who was three months at the time. Um, happy, go lucky, silly young man, trying to find his way um, from childhood, you know, to adulthood and realizing now playtime is over. He's a father. He got to get it. He got to get himself together if he wants to be here to raise the show. So Naeem was a selfless young man who actually was an organ donor and it was on his driver's license. Me and him argued about him having it on his driver's license because, of course, I felt like he would be a target if anything happened to him. They would automatically not save him and harvest his organs. So he said, if I take it off, you have to promise me if anything should happen to me that you would let them know I am an organ donor. And again, we went back and forth and I said to him, why is it so important for you to be an organ donor? And he said, because if I'm going, at least I'll save someone else's life and they can live on. 
Kimberly remembers celebrating the 4th of July with friends near Philadelphia, which was different from her usual tradition of cooking out with her kids. That year, as her children were building their own families or working, they encouraged her to enjoy the holiday without them. Though she insisted on staying home to cook for Naeem, she says he just wanted to take a nap with plans to go see the fireworks later. While it wasn't a choice she made without consideration, it was a choice that would remain a what if, as later that day she would receive a call that Naeem had been shot. Because he was going to Roxborough, I didn't think it was that bad. And I'm gonna be honest, Roxborough is not a trauma hospital. Um, so I instantly was like, okay, let me call my daughter, tell her to get to the hospital because she's closer than I am. She has the insurance card. She can get them all the information and I'm on my way. So when she got to the hospital, I calmed her down. I'm like, it's, it can't be that bad if he's at Roxborough. So I'm going to need you to calm down, be my eyes and my ears until I get there. And she was like, okay, I'm trying to hold it together, but I don't know. I don't know, Mom. Something, mm-mm. And I'm like, no, it can't be that bad. He's at Roxborough. So she calls me back within five minutes, and she's like, Mom, they're talking about transferring him to Hanneman or to Temple. And we all know when you say Temple, but because they said Hanneman, I'm still like, okay, go ahead with them, riding the ambulance with them. I'm, I'm almost, I'm in 195 now. <laughs> I'm almost there. Then she calls me back within another five minutes. They're taking them to Temple. And we had just got on Broad Street. My husband was racing up 95. And um, we got on Broad Street and I told her, Go ahead, ride with them um, to Temple. We will meet y'all there. And we actually beat them because when I got to Temple, I, I had no idea going through the emergency room, you had to go through the metal detectors and all that. So I'm trying to run and they like, no, you gotta go through X, Y, and Z and tell me why you here. And I'm like, my son's been shot. And they're like, we don't hear no gunshot victims. And I'm like, yes, y'all do. My son is here. No, ma'am, we don't hear no gunshot victims. And I'm arguing with them. And next I hear an ambulance. I can hear it. And it's getting closer. And I'm like, this got to be him. So I run out. And the doors flew open. And I looked. I said, that's my son. And all I see is like a doctor on a gurney over him and he's surrounded by doctors and nurses and they're telling me I can't touch him, you, mm-mm, this my baby. And I bust through and I'm like, let me, I gotta touch him. So I did touch his um, foot and I'm screaming his name, Naeem, Naeem, get up, it's mom. It's mom, come on, come on, sonny boy. And it was no reaction. And um, I just fell in the parking lot. And all I remember is um, the guard, my husband, coming over trying to get me up, taking me into the hospital in the emergency room. Kimberly describes the heartbreaking experience in a hospital room a place known for its grim and somber atmosphere. She struggled to maintain hope while praying that her worst fears wouldn't come true. Eventually, a doctor informed them that they needed to conduct a test to determine brain activity, but due to the holiday, they had to wait until the next day. Her son was placed in the ICU for the night, and Kimberly went to go get her mother, who had already had suspicions of the situation from watching the news. Together, they returned to the hospital, where Kimberly expressed Naeem's wish to be an organ donor. Shortly after, she says the rest was history. Naeem had passed on July 5th, 2017. Kimberly describes the intense emotional turmoil she experienced after a traumatic event. 
She likens her emotional state to a roller coaster where her moods fluctuate constantly. Initially, she, like many people, will respond to inquiries about her well-being with the conditioned response of, I'm fine. However, she eventually realized she was dishonest to herself and to others. She embraced her true feelings, expressing that she is just here and she's making it, refusing to wear a mask to appease others. She acknowledges her fear of judgment and criticism, particularly concerning her parenting. But she believes many parents share these same concerns without knowing how to articulate them. But she says living in this truth of hers helps her a lot. It helps because I'm not lying. That's number one. Number two, other parents I meet on this journey continuously say I'm so strong. I don't know what strong look like. To me, I'm the weakest person walking around. Um, I feel like this is my truth. This is my story. Either you accept it or you don't. And walking in my truth is I don't have to hide my shame. No shame. No guilt. I feel like I've done now, you know, looking back, I've I've been it, Mom, right? I've done everything I was supposed to. I showed my kids the good life as far as I knew, you know, the best life I knew that they were entitled to, that I could provide for them. I gave it to them. I showed them. Um, and I gave them what they needed, what they wanted, what they didn't have. So as long as I can continue to push each day, I know I'm helping another parent. And people say, you know, you've helped me and this and that. And I did not know as many people were paying attention to me. I'm just, I'm just Kim. <laughs> trying to make it. Trying, trying. And I say that very loosely because there are moments where I just be like, oh my gosh, I can't do it today. Like this week has been, I don't feel like getting out this bed. I just, I, I don't feel like it. But something in me is like, uh-uh, you got to push. You have to do what you have to do because you never know who you're going to help along the way. And... Thank God I've been helping people. Kimberly admits that the loss was a turning point in her life, bringing intense grief she felt after losing a child, likening it to a persistent, irritating sensation like being plucked at repeatedly. She confesses to contemplating suicide and planning it out. However, she was reached out to by another advocate, Zarina Lomax, who introduced her to a group called Moms Bonded by Grief. Meeting other mothers who had gone through similar experiences made her feel normal and helped her open up about her grief. She emphasizes the importance of removing the mask of societal expectations and living in one's truth, as grief can have a profound impact on individuals. She says spaces like grief support groups can normalize the grieving process and the importance of acknowledging grief as a regular and a shared experience and that normalizing grief as a whole could have positive outcomes. Our culture tells us we are strong. You cannot cry, especially men. At funerals, you ever get pinched because a tear was getting ready to fall out your eyes, somebody caught you or you, or they be like... <clears throat> give you that stare and you suck it up now this is your and I'm speaking from a mother's perspective this is somebody that you carried inside of you that knows your insides that you watch grow that you nourish that you taught everything right and now in the blink of an eye they're taken away how are you supposed to feel we're not taught how to deal with grief. We're not taught how to deal with pain. The first thing we want to do is act like it didn't happen. Oh, it never happened. Mm -mm. But it did happen. And now what are we going to do? How can we move forward? We're not taught that crying is okay. 
we're not taught talking about it is okay. We have to normalize these things. Grief is an everyday part of everybody's life. Grief is a, an emotion that no one likes to talk about. But when you get around people that are like-minded, it can change your perspective. Just somebody smiling at you can deter someone else from jumping off the bridge or being the next Unabomber. <laughs> you know, and we don't know. We don't know. So I tell anybody, and especially like our the siblings suffer in silence. I call them the forget the forgotten children because all the groups are aimed towards the mothers. Um, very few groups are for the siblings. Very few groups are for grandparents. It's more so for the mothers. When you see a father in these groups, oh, he's a loudmouth. He he's showbooting. No, this man is grieving. Embrace this man. Let him cry it out. We're not used to seeing men cry. And it's a problem. Same thing with the young boys. We're not used. They're taught not to cry. They're not men if they're crying over their brother. If they cry over their homie. Why can't they cry? Let them express themselves. If we start expressing ourselves, I think a lot of this anger in our communities would subside. With a new life ahead of her, Kimberly needed a change. While that change came from tragedy, she channeled her pain into a greater purpose. And out of the flames of grief rose a phoenix called Never Ending Emotions, which is Kimberly's organization. Never Ending Emotions reflects the constant and intense nature of grief, with emotions fluctuating in a circle from happiness to anger and back. Kimberly emphasizes that grief is a lifelong journey, and the organization offers a space for individuals to express their feelings without judgment. Why can't people have a non-judgment conversation about what they're dealing with? No judgment. You tell me what's going on. And you're, you know, you're free to talk about it. You're free to communicate about it. You're free to smile, laugh, hoop, holler, however. She discusses her work in helping people dealing with the loss of a loved one, providing them with a platform for non-judgmental conversations. Kimberly's support includes practical advice and guidance, like helping individuals update their resumes, encouraging open communication among family members, and facilitating discussions to address past conflicts and move forward. Additionally, Kimberly talks about her involvement in helping individuals with criminal records seek employment opportunities. She highlights their challenges due to their records and offers guidance on avoiding illegal activities. She discusses her books, Where's My Daddy, and a work in progress titled Naeem, both which tackle the impact of emotional loss. Where's My Daddy was initially meant for her grandson, but evolved into a resource for anyone searching for their father, Naeem is a chapter book loosely based on her son, Naeem, and introduces different characters. Kimberly shares how writing these books has taken an emotional toll on her, causing her to take breaks to preserve her mental well-being. She highlights the importance of recognizing when to pause and recharge. She also mentions in her work in writing obituaries focused on murder victims. These obituaries provide a platform for loved ones to remember and honor those lost to violence. Additionally, she discusses her articles which touch on her feelings and grief experiences and highlight organizations supporting youth and co-victims in the Philadelphia area. No matter the work that Kimberly does, she has a profound connection to all the folks with whom she crosses paths with who may be grieving. We're human. We always attract. We're always being attracted to something in someone. Um, I met a man... Over the summertime, whose daughter was murdered, I want to say about 10 years ago. And what attracted me to him, because he we was out in front of City Hall, he was well-dressed. And I had 
heard him speak about his daughter and I, I don't, I was like, no, I, I never heard of his daughter. And to my knowledge, I've never read anything about him or the, what he's doing. So I went over to him, introduced myself and I actually interviewed and I can honestly say that, that was one of my best stories I've wrote for the obituary project. Um, his daughter was murdered from the her last son's father who strangled her and left her for dead. And it hit home. Why did it hit home? Because I myself was in an abusive relationship years ago. It hit home because I'm a mother of daughters. I'm a mother of a son. I have grandkids. It hit home because it could possibly be one of my friend's daughters going through that, you know, and not wanting to tell. So we have to learn to talk, learn to give, you know, subliminal messages, our secrets. Stop hiding these secrets. Like, we're not in 1930 no more. We got to get it out. We got to save our babies, no matter how old they are. While the work has been laborious, Kimberly says it's been worth it. She sees every connection as an educational moment where she can gain more insight. She's even been able to use her advocacy work to teach her grandchildren, particularly her eldest grandson. And I have a 14-year-old um, grandson as well who, when my son first was murdered, because he was the oldest and he was always up under me, he was going to different events with me. And now he's in high school. He's not venturing out there for it. He, this is first year of high school. He's still a baby. <laughs> and he still want to go to circus. He still want to play with his little cousins. They six or seven. He the oldest. They running around the house like they were in an amusement park. And I love it. And I was telling my mom, I said last week I had all the grandkids over. And he the oldest, I had to get on him more because he running all throughout the house, the back steps, up the steps, everything. And I said, Dad, he don't want to be with his friends. He want to be with his little cousins. I kind of scared him from venturing out, which is a good thing. Because he went to the um, funeral homes. He seen me speak. He seen these mothers crying. He seen firsthand what it does. He does the marches with me. So he he's not out there. And I thank God for that every day. Because another grandmother is not saying the same thing I'm saying. So how can we get these kids the best teacher, put them in there with you. Put them right there with you. All the work Kimberly has done has made her more patient and empathetic, particularly dealing with the police and detectives. You have to be very patient. Um, it's a lot. It is a lot. So you, you yeah. Being empathetic, sympathetic, and patience is a virtue. And I've seen people, murderers get caught, and the murderers walk. And that's, you know, because the case was rushed. And when all this first transpired, and, you know, the detectives came out, they said, you got to be patient. I didn't realize it was, the, you know, this is what they met. And like I said, I've seen some cases just get thrown out for lack of evidence. So I don't want his case thrown out, nor do I want his killer to continuously walk around killing other people because that's what's going on. And while Kimberly says her advocacy work has helped her grow, she still has an ongoing struggle with forgiveness, as she says the circumstances are case by case. I'm going to say this, and I'm not contradicting myself, 
I couldn't understand if, and I can't even understand. Let me take that back. But someone murdered somebody, and that was it. One time. You know, they that was it. But when you murder people after people, and it gets a, up to a high number, there's no rehabilitation. Like, you're just a killer. You don't belong back on these streets. You have proved who you are. Um, and I was really, really stuck on it. I was beating myself up about forgiveness. And I battle myself to this day about forgiveness. What forgiveness means to me does not necessarily means mean the same thing to me as it is for you. And just when I thought I forgave, I hear something else about this guy. And it's not good things. So if he is listening, if he get wind of this, turn yourself in, get the help you need, some some people, I'm not, I'm not even going to say one person felt you. Some people have felt you for you to keep on doing what you're doing. And I don't want nobody else did. I don't want him did. But it's like, it just, it, time, it's time for you to turn yourself in. Be a man. <laughs> and... You know, what what is done is done. I can't bring my son back, but I could help prevent another family from going through this. And if you know your child is in the street, halfway in the street, a quarter of in the street, you know, he walked away, gave it up. Make sure he did. Get him out of the same environment. You know, a lot of people... Like my son walked away, but the game didn't walk away from him. And a lot of people have shame in their game and will say, oh, not my son. My son was an honor roll student and this and that. No, my son was human. <laughs> my son had some of me in him, some of his father in him, some of his grandmother, grandfather, uncles, aunts. We all human. Moving forward in her journey, Kimberly says she'd like to complete her book and conduct enrichment seminars for children and adults. She also mentions her interest in offering end-of-life coaching to help individuals live meaningfully, expressing their thoughts and making amends. Kimberly has already helped the cousin write a letter to his child, highlighting the importance of celebrating life and addressing important matters while one is still alive. When asked about avoiding burnout, Kimberly mentions her regular nine-to-five job and her struggle to find a balance between advocacy and work. She has refrained from participating in marches and is cautious about the political dynamics in Philadelphia. Kimberly says that she has lost a lot of faith, but she is working on reconnecting with her spirituality and learning to pray again. Moving forward in this work, she has one last message for listeners. I want people to pay more attention to their children. Not little children, not medium-sized children, but all your children. It doesn't matter how old they are. They are our children. And just because I didn't have their child doesn't mean that they don't belong to me. We're all in a community. The community is built up of people. You know, we don't know where these children are going to be 10, 20 years from now. We have to teach them. While Naeem is no longer here with us, his story didn't end there. Pointing back to his wish to be an organ donor, Kimberly says that Naeem saved seven people's lives, one being a baby and another being a teacher. She says while his passing was untimely, she's glad his memory lives on and that his final act of selflessness helped others keep their lives. Honestly, it made me smile like I was cheesing um, you couldn't tell me I didn't hit the lottery because I didn't know the importance 
honestly I did not know the importance and even um after he did the donation I volunteered at the gift of life a couple of times before the pandemic and was able to serve meals to people waiting for organ donations and just interacting with the different people the youngest person we met was a young a little boy waiting for a heart and him and my granddaughter were playing and they were like four five years old and she said why do you hit a backpack one and he explained to her I'm waiting for a heart and this is helping keeping me alive and I'm sitting there just amazed I also met um, a 75 year old man waiting for a double lung transplant and he actually wrote a check for my organization. So just meeting people and seeing how how these people are affected and how the families are affected as well, um, it changed your perspective on life. It, it You walk away like, wow. In Kimberly Kamara's remarkable journey, we've seen the depths of her pain and the heights of her determination. Her story is not just about loss, but the incredible strength, love, and inspiration that can emerge from it. Her legacy is a testament to the change that one person can make. As we close this chapter, remember that even in the face of tragedy, one can find hope, healing, and a powerful resolve to make the world a better place. I'm Rashida Jamu, and this is Germantown Echoes. Well, Germantown, it is about that time. If you want to share story ideas or information with the Germantown Info Hub, please email gtown.infohub at gmail.com. And you can also keep up with us on social media at Gtown Info Hub on Twitter and Instagram and Germantown Info Hub on Facebook. Additionally, you can read our stories at germantowninfohub.org. And we encourage listeners to text the Equally Informed Philly text line, which is another program under Resolve Philly. It allows Philadelphians to access information regarding Philadelphia services. The Equal Info line is a free bilingual English and Spanish question and answer texting service that provides subscribers with vetted local news and resources. To ask questions, text Equal Info, which is two words, to 215-910-4040 or type in joinsubtext.com slash equalinfo215 on your web browser. Equally Informed also supplies a community-driven print newsletter that's available at health centers and libraries all over the city. And that is about it. Once again, I'm Rashida Jamu, the reporter for the Info Hub. And I'm Maleka Fruin. Thank you to our guests for speaking with us today for today's show. And as always, thank you to our neighbors for always listening and engaging and allowing the Info Hub to serve you. And until next time, good night, Germantown. Good night, Germantown.